to Beyond Culture. I am your host, Ivan, and I'm here with my co-host, Abel. Today we'll be talking about the U.S. midterm elections of 2018. So get us started. Yeah, so uh, midterm elections in the United States are general elections. Uh, they're held near the midpoint of a president's four-year term in office. So as a consequence, they're they tend to be to be seen as a referendum on uh, on the president and how is doing in he's been doing in the the two years you know so uh, it's usually it's usually uh favors the opposition because uh, it's hard to meet the expectations as a as a new president so uh, uh federal Offices are up for election during the midterms. All the 435 seats in the House of Representatives are up for grabs. You have 33 to 35 seats out of the 100 seats in the Senate that are up for grabs as well. So, um, yeah, according to the BBC, 21, 20 of the last 21 midterms uh, only like held since 1934, only... Uh, it's only been three times where uh, the president party gained seats in the House, and five times where he gained seats in the in the Senate. No, so that's so a, yeah. One of them was when uh, when George Bush put uh, George Bush's uh, midterm election of two thousand and two. Mm-hmm. That was like around fourteen months after the nine eleven attacks. So it was kind of it wasn't anything common in terms of the political political climate that was brewing in that time could just come off a terrorist attack and the iraq war is on the horizon war on terrorism so i think it shows you how how uncommon it is to have a president hold the house and the senate yeah and just gain seats yeah for sure and uh Usually the uh, the prev- the president's approval rating are like a good indicator of how the the party is going to do in the elections. So uh, as you said, after the nine eleven attacks, I believe Bush's approval ratings were they were skyrocketing. They were at they were at some point in the nineties, and then they fell back a little bit to like the seventies, mm-hmm. which are pretty high for any yeah. public official. So you. Like you could tell that the the party was going to do good. So, but in twenty, 20- else I also think it could have that could have easily swung the other way because we, when America tends to be in a state of fear and whatever, the 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 country usually fractures itself. So we kind of see that in the nineteen sixty eight election when you have the war in Vietnam happening, the um, poverty at home, race relations. Um, there was no way the Democratic Party could have even been reelected because simply the convention, the Chicago convention, was pure chaos. Just protests outside, inside. It was it was a mess, and that came off Robert F. Kennedy's death, Martin Luther King's death, all in the, within the same year. So America tends to get itself fractured, and it was very it's it's surprising when you look at history that. In the midst of the 9-11 attacks, the country, in a sense, unified around one president. Yeah, yeah. I, I, it's always held as 
you know, the conventional wisdom that once there's an external threat to a nation, everybody unites and then they try to fight the threat. But it's his, it's not been like that in history. Mm-hmm. But uh, 9-11 was definitely one of those cases where you had the entire nation just unite against uh, the against what they thought as that was the threat. Mm-hmm. You know? So, yeah. But uh, in 2018, uh, before... Before the elections, uh, Trump's approval rating were around forty-two percent. So if you take the like the good polls, not the, the ones that he, <laughs> you know, but uh, yeah, in comparison to uh, Obama before tw- the twenty ten midterms, uh, it's he was Obama was at forty-five percent. So you can see how, like, you know how that was going to affect the the midterms for sure yeah and uh in the 2010 uh, midterms the democrats saw one of the biggest electoral losses in u.s history so yeah you have to keep that in consideration so uh among the issues that were at the forefront for uh, for the midterms elections uh you had obviously immigration you had uh impeachment for for donald trump for yeah. donald trump you have the economy the of economy, course for sure uh the supreme court pick with brett kavanaugh yeah and then you have also health care with uh obamacare mm-hmm. uh so i guess we can start with uh the supreme court pick mm-hmm. the brett kavanaugh that was man was that as soon as the the hearings even started it was already just a line of questioning you can tell it was going to be a tightly contested issue because obviously Kavanaugh does have a lot of history that you you can he was he was in the public eye for a long time for a very long time yeah the the hearings were definitely uh hyper partisan for sure and uh (coughs) you knew that obviously the 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 Democrats as the opposition were going to use Kavanaugh and his nomination as a something to fuel their base and that trump was going to do so as well you know he he's had two picks so uh neil gorsuch and uh brett kavanaugh who are pretty conservative judges you know like a lot of people actually a lot of conservatives were satisfied with those picks although now the the opinions are kind of changing since uh brett kavanaugh is kind of voting with as is voting uh unexpected uh, of of what uh, the people on the right were expecting but uh yeah yeah like even uh with uh, the fact that he didn't because i think there was there was one of the big issue with the that the democrats brought up is that he didn't turn in all of the documents that he could have like that means all all his uh i think all the decisions and all the like his um investigation all 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 of that i think that was also an issue because they believe that he was hiding something like why didn't he turn in uh, you know so and so documents but i think he turned in over over definitely over 90 percent of the documents he could have turned in i don't think you have to turn in yeah you don't even have to turn in that many documents for a hearing so i think that was already that's when it already before he even came to the stand it was yeah, it was already a volatile was, issue the whole thing was it's a big and complex 
thing, the, the whole Kavanaugh thing, and uh, we'll probably do a, an episode just focused on the Supreme Court picks of uh, Donald Trump. But uh, that was definitely one of the drivers in mm-hmm. the, the 2018 midterm. Yeah, and even moving towards the towards the midterm elections, it's a tight issue because now you have women voters mm-hmm. coming out like being feeling like their rights are being taken away because of that Supreme Court pick. Yeah, so. especially with the whole uh, Me Too movement and well, as we saw after the midterm elections, how how many women were elected in in Congress and uh, just how many women actually went out to vote, you know. So it was mm-hmm. it was basically it was basically a, one of the the biggest issues in the midterm for sure. Yeah. So now moving on to the economics of it. At that time, Trump had around a 3.7% unemployment rate. You know, he, re- he, could, he, he, he loved it. That was a, it was, it was a record low though. In 50 years, the unemployment had never been that low. And it was something he took major, major pride in, you know, letting everybody know, man, we have the lowest, Black unemployment, you know, Hispanic unemployment. Um, yeah, just so lowest unemployment in 50 years. So, but a lot of people tend to, when, especially when it comes to economics, it's, it's hard to give full credit to one single president because economics is so, it's such a, it's such a big topic. You have micro and macro economics. So, yeah, you know you the, have the continuity yeah. of it all, you know. So mm-hmm. it's hard. It, you know, just as uh, it would be a bit hard to, you know, to give Obama the the credit for whatever, like, you know, for whatever is happening now. I think it's it would be uh, also like hard to just say Trump is. You know, mm-hmm. it's because of Trump policies that the economy is doing as good since, especially since you saw the trend. Uh, of unemployment going down uh like before before trump came into office but i also think that uh like if the that's what's funny about president so if the economy goes down it's all your fault (laughs) if the economy does well then we come we think more reasonably okay yeah, this exterior, this the exterior factor yeah, that factors into this. But the this. president will try to claim that it's because of their policies that uh, the economy is doing well. But yeah, the the presidents have presidents have a uh, a major influence on the economy for sure. You can mm-hmm. see it now in the U.S. with the the tariffs and the the trade wars that Trump is engaged in. You know, it's having a huge economical uh, repercussions. You know, so. It's not as if the presidents can presidents can do anything about the economy. That's not true, but mm-hmm. they can do it all. That's I think what we're trying to say. Yeah, for sure. And now the next thing we got here is uh, the healthcare healthcare system. I think it was one of the major moments was uh, when John McCain famously put the the thumbs down uh, against the. Uh, having a repealment of Obamacare as it as Trump has, you know, he could, when it comes to the criticism about him, a lot of people say that he just coming in trying to take away everything Obama did. And I think Obamacare was one of the, one of the major issues that was on the table 
that people felt as if he's he wants to repeal it and doesn't really quite have a plan on how to transition people. But uh, yeah, healthcare was definitely one of those things. You had uh, like it was one of the biggest campaign uh, promises that Trump was running on, saying that he would repeal Obamacare and replace it with something that's really good. You know, mm-hmm. as Trump says, the best healthcare of all time. <laughs> You know, but uh, the reality of it was that healthcare is such a complex issue, especially in the U.S. Now that you have you have private healthcare, and then you have uh, the Obamacare that's that built on the private healthcare. It's not like a complete, uh, uh, like state-run healthcare system. Yeah. So, there, I think the Republican quickly realized that it's not as easy as Trump was saying, obviously, but mm-hmm. they still wanted to show the the base that we're serious about this. We want to repeal Obamacare, but they didn't have a good plan to replace Obamacare. That's why uh, uh, John McCain, Senator John McCain, refused to vote with the, with the Senate Republicans at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but nevertheless, uh, they've repealed. They have repealed uh, the individual mandate mm-hmm. of uh, the like uh, that was included in Obamacare that kind of like enforced people to buy healthcare, but uh, yeah, which was a huge part of what the uh, the Ob- like the Obamacare Act. Yeah. And it was, I think, I'm not sure, was it uh, ruled unconstitutional by the. But the course, I think. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. It, wasn't? it was ruled constitutional for. I've, I'm not sure. I don't know the the reason why. I'm not a lawyer. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, it wasn't ruled uh, unconstitutional. No. Okay. Well, uh, then moving on to uh, because a lot of Democrats, for them, I think this is where you. It, it wasn't new, but. The idea of the universal healthcare mm-hmm. really sprung up also during the midterm, especially with um, the more younger and democratic uh, candidates coming yeah. in saying these are the bills we want to put forth, you know. Yeah. So, um, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, on the democratic, like the Democrat side, when the Republicans were running against. Uh, Obamacare, the Affordable Care Act. The Democrats wanted to provide a universal health care, a state state-run healthcare system, a single-payer system, and uh, that was bi- that is a big issue for young voters. For young voters, especially mm-hmm. because, like the the U.S. Uh, the current U.S. system favors old people with a. Medicare and Medicaid. Mm-hmm. So uh, for young people, you you have that weird situation where if you repeal Obamacare, you don't know exactly what you can, how you you're going to get healthcare. You you have to get it privately, you know. Yeah. But you know, with the whole like instability of young people with the skyrocketing uh, tuition costs and debt and all that those uh, economic burdens that young people are facing now, it's like. It's a big issue for them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Even if you fast forward to now, the Republicans that put forth a policy allowing young people from ages 18 to, I think it was 35 or something like that, like they have the choice of 
the amount of uh, healthcare they want, so they could, you know, opt in for a lower percentage healthcare. Because as a young person, you don't, a lot of us don't tend to be in the hospital that much, right? So yeah, but that, but the like the opposition that uh, I would say the left probably had on on those on those things is that young uh, for Obamacare, a lot of young people were were included in the uh, in the in the insur- insurance of their parents mm-hmm. so when you're taking away the uh, like the affordable care act you're taking away basically the ability for young people to be included in the in the uh, the insurance of their the health insurance of their parents so you're taking that away but you're allowing them to get like cheaper but not good coverage mm-hmm. you know so it's it's kind of a balance balancing act but uh, i think uh, most young people would probably uh, steer on the side of having obamacare or uh, yeah universal but i i do understand why a lot of conservatives are against this type of social social health health care for everybody because it tends to when the government controls a certain entity some of the time it just ends up turning turning to like dust like it's the end up being terrible like the the va system you have veterans the people who fought for this country they have their own their uh, country run uh healthcare system and i think it's, that's a clear example of what the government does with universal healthcare veterans i think it was the stats was like around 25 veterans a day commit suicides in the parking lot of the VA. And uh, those numbers themselves are pretty... Yeah, uh, shocking. Yeah. Yeah, but also, what you the pushback you could get is that uh, you've... Universal healthcare is not something that is new, you know? So it's been, it's been around for a long time, outside of the U.S. for sure. So if you look at Canada, here in Canada, there is a universal healthcare system mm-hmm. that... That is quite good if you compare it to the U.S. and if you even look at the, the European countries and even a lot of emerging economies are adopting universal healthcare. So it's not something that is new, and uh, you can see that uh, the efficient, like the the U.S. system, health system is not efficient at all. If you look at how much they spend, they spend more than most of the countries that have uh, universal uh, healthcare per per capita yet have w- worse results so it's it's not an efficient system uh, what they have now and uh, i think universal health uh, healthcare would probably be the way to go although it's it would be hard to dismantle the system that they have now because mm-hmm. it's so built in at this moment but uh, but what would you ex- okay so the stats here it's from ex- uh, exactly from the United States Department of Veteran Affairs. So they tracked from 1979 to 2004 that 20 veterans a day die from suicide. From so basically, because a lot of one of the major issues is that you go on to war and then you come back and you, sometimes your injuries aren't. A lot of times your injuries are not physical; they're all they're mental. mental. And for those ones that don't require direct um, direct treatment on on the spot then those things go unnoticed and nobody and those mental problems end up going unnoticed as a whole and i think for a country like america that prides itself 
in their strong military and you know always respecting their veterans i don't see how you could have a great health a great universal healthcare system when you haven't fixed the veterans affair that's what that's that's that's, that's what i th- i think about this i no, but the, you know it's sometimes it's hard to just have like a small like compared to the rest of the population the veteran healthcare system is is a smaller is a smaller system you know so but if you try to integrate and have a, a coherent system as most like a lot of countries has if you have so for example france or germany or uh, the uk to some extent canada here there's a universal healthcare system mm-hmm. and uh, but even in and th- those countries perform better in, in in those in terms of health than uh, the us so. i think in can you know in canada what people often conservatives point to is that canada you know hallway hallway medicine you know long lines they just look at all the i guess the downsides of it and to be honest as for me as a canadian uh i, I see it as such there i'm happy that i'm i'm happy sure. i'm happy that regardless regardless of income regardless of what happened i know that i have healthcare so I don't I've, I don't really go I don't go to the hospital that much but I know that if I need to go to the hospital yeah you know it's there because and I think that's what a lot of young Americans are striving for like do you want to be able to have that security do you know I could go about my life and not really have to worry too much about paying my medical bills or when I go let's say I go in an emergency room quick mm-hmm. can I afford what's gonna the bill I'm about to get for this medical treatment and I yeah. think a lot of us Canadians probably take it for granted but man it's it's an amazing it's it's amazing to not have to worry too much about healthcare. yeah so yeah for sure and that that is that is a big issue in the U.S. and uh, you can even see it now uh, with the the 2020 campaign that uh that are have started you know healthcare is basically the biggest issue at this time mm-hmm. uh, like compared compared to other issues w- such as the economy or whatever mm-hmm. but uh yeah and i would say almost everybody on the like the left side of the spectrum or are, are running with uh, some version of a universal healthcare system although there are some combinations that are coming in and some yeah with insurance and you know but yeah for sure that that is uh that is one of the biggest issue and it was in the midterm elections so moving on i think we have immigration immigration i think man that that is definitely i think well let's say for conservatives that was one of the main things driving them to the to the ballot to to the polls because even at the there was a there was a commercial before the midterms it was uh it showed some <laughs> I, I know yeah i know he's a criminal for sure he came here illegally committed some crimes whatever and then trump yeah. trump put that as a, a commercial and it kind of it kind of quote unquote put a blanket statement that uh you know look at the look at what happens when you have open borders like he was really he was pushing that that about the crisis at the border and i think it's fair to say there is there's definitely a crisis at the border because cpb agents have said have said that they just can't you know take in the amount of immigrants that are coming through the borders 
whether it's through asylum or just crossing the border, they just can't take them in. And recently we saw a picture of kids sleeping on the floor, like not even in the facility, but outside the facility. And I think that's when you look at Congress and you're like, you know, you need to do your jobs. And that directly correlates with the midterm elections because a lot of people are like, man, Congress does need to do a job. They need to fund the, you know, their border agents because they clearly do not have the resources needed to, you know, to, you know, take in this many people per day. And even looking at the, um, the idea of that, because Trump was really pushed, his big campaign promise was the border wall. And I think what Trump does really well is identify the problem. Like immigration is a problem. And I think the way to fix it is, like you said, fund the fund border agents, uh, have more security and also mainly have more immigration judges at the border to process the, these asylum claims. Because one of the main things is that you get the like, catch and release. I think I have a problem with that policy. So you basically, you take them in and then you call them in back for a court date to have their asylum claim heard. And then most of the times they don't come back. So I think that's a flaw system within itself. And it's the sh- it shows that you need more immigration judges because you cannot process these claims fast enough, which creates a huge backlog. So I think it is a, it was a valid issue that there is a crisis at the border. But the way it was framed, I think, is a is the problem. Yeah, I don't I don't know if I, I don't think I agree with the statement that it is a crisis any more than it was years ago. I don't think there's something that's happening at the southern border that's that's out of character of uh, the immigration tra- trends uh, of the ca- past couple of years. If you if you look at the the stats, I'm trying to look them up right now, but. But you can see that the the, the stats of like immigration have been, have been quite consistent th- throughout the years, and uh, so for, if you look at uh, like Obama's efforts on immigration, you would see the number of deportation going up. You like you you would see something that like is quite consistent consistent in the last couple like in the last twenty years, I would say. But uh, saying that, but it's, it's definitely it's, an it's an issue for sure. It is an issue. But I don't think it's like a crisis as Trump is trying to make it to be. No, I it, it is in terms of the sheer number of immigrants coming coming in through the southern border. It's the numbers are it's un unparamount. They have no. I was I was watching this interview from this border agent. They had, since he's been on the force for I think I think he said forty years or so. He's never seen a. a this big of a flow of migrants coming in and it clearly shows by the pictures the the pictures we're seeing the kids sleeping on the floor they don't clearly they're not equipped to handle this type of immigration they're not the sheer number of of immigrants coming in i don't think the government the the government is giving enough funding to the border agents to handle this type of stuff yeah well for sure uh well we I think immigration would be a, like a good episode to it would be a good topic to to go over on an episode here but uh but the gist of it all is that immigration was a big issue both for the Republican voters and uh how like how they're framing it and how Democrats perceived mm-hmm. that framing to be well I guess it was even it's a different conversation than what was happening on Twitter because on Twitter what went viral was 
the picture of kids and cages. Mm-hmm. And what can definitely be attributed to Trump is the zero tolerance policy. So if you're seen crossing the border at what is not a port of entry, mm-hmm. then you get you automatically get arrest get detained. And due to the Obama policy that kids cannot be detained with their parents for a certain amount of times, kids Which are was great. enforced yeah. by the way by the Obama administration. Yeah, so kids because kids cannot be since kids cannot can't technically be because it's only so Trump what he does what Trump government does is he keeps the parents detained and kids cannot be detained with the parents for a long for a long period of time so forcefully he has to he has to remove the kids and then put them like like we saw in the pictures yeah, separate of them and put them and put them in, put them in cages, cages yeah, yeah. Or anything what Obama what what Obama did was in a sense he stopped um, having the, he didn't have a zero tolerance policy yeah. that's what kept the kids and the, the parents and the kids together yeah trump what he's what he brought in was a zero tolerance policy yeah. in a way to deter to deter much illegal immigration to come in but it's it's funny the numbers have risen which ended in uh, like the whole the whole uh, thing of family separation at the border which was just a big issue obviously and in prior to the midterms mm-hmm. yeah so yeah for sure immigration was a and right for for the people on the right immigration they see immigration as, illegal immigration as a big problem but the people on the left see the framing of the right on immigration as the problem not immig- illegal immigration itself i'm not sure if that would be a like an accurate prescription but description of what like well, even like because right before the midterms, that's when uh, Trump sent the troops to the border. Yeah, yeah. and a lot of people were like, "Why are you sending our our soldiers to the border to yeah, fight exactly. to fight what exactly?" Yeah, so yeah, I would say the people on the left are not uh, immigration is not one of their top issues or illegal immigration, but it's mostly the the right's reaction to illegal immigrants immigration that's their issue so either mm-hmm. either having trump send uh troops on at the border or talking about mexicans as if they're rapists and those kind of things you know so yeah so in that sense uh yeah in you you immigration would be a would be a, a topic of a was a like a topic for for the people on the left yeah, so now I guess we can move on to the major races we saw. I think the first race I paid attention to, I think that's, that was the first debate I saw, was Beto and... Uh, Ted Cruz? Ted Cruz. That relationship between Ted Cruz and Donald Trump is... I don't know what you compare. Probably you compared it to Michael Scott and Tobey Thunderson. Because <laughs> originally, Trump is during the campaign trail, and they're just going going at it. And Trump's calling him lying, lying Ted. <laughs> yeah, it's not just Ted Cruz. It's the entire Republican establishment. Like, mm-hmm. If you look at how the GOP treated Trump before the elections and how they're treating him now, it's like complete one eighty. You had the the senator uh, Lindsey Graham, who was like a anti-Trump just before the election, and saying this guy would be a disaster if elected. But now he's like the biggest Trump supporter in the Senate. Mm-hmm. It's it's but that's it's what bizarre. I give sure. but that's what happens when you're in you're in power. You're trying to 
you have to you have to keep power at all costs and when you have a divided when you have a divided party then re-elections are very very slim and republicans rather have a republican in power that they don't like than to have somebody on the other side of the political aisle that they really really don't like so i guess it's one of those where you just you know you stay with the devil you know yeah well but at least you'd have to be honest uh, and not act as if Trump is yeah. you know, the savior or anything. I think that's why a lot of people admired John McCain because he was able, he was able to even he was with with the Republican Party he vehemently showed when he was against what Trump, what Trump says, and I think that's what people want a lot more from Republican senators, congressmen. They want more denial of the stuff he says, you know. And I think I guess it could be, it could be a fair criticism, but also people tend to vote more about the issues uh, that are in play than the person itself. When it comes to your options being, if the options are slim, so let's say people either choose between Trump and Hillary Clinton. Mm-hmm. For Republicans, it's it's a no brainer to bring in Trump because though you can say that's what I believe, I don't believe Trump. Trump doesn't really truly believe in something. He really he believes in the what I think he believes in. He believes in Trump and he believes in the base. So the base wants, let's say, you know, a Roe v. Wade overturn. Trump nominates two judges to the Supreme Court. Yeah. The his base wants manufacturing jobs to come back. Trump tries his best to bring that back. You can we can argue whether it's really come back or not, but people really vote. With the, about the issues more than the person, especially when you when they were, le- were left with options between Hillary and Donald Trump, and that's 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 where they tended to go. Yeah, well, I don't I don't know if that's been historical saying that people vote with, uh, uh, with with the issues instead of the personality of the no. I think I'm talking think about I'm talking about when the recent. I'm talking about when the when the decisions are slim. Oh, okay. So in the in the twenty sixteen election, that decision was slim. Yeah. They they either you either get Trump or you get Hillary Clinton. Mm-hmm. For a lot of people, there's no way they're voting for Hillary Clinton, who worked for with Obama. So they're rather in that sense, people are going to turn to the issues that they're voting for. So for Republicans, it was it uh, part of it was immigration. Trump spoke a lot about immigration, so a lot of people. Th- a lot of Republicans went with with Donald Trump. You can, you can expect really to people to break from party lines when the yeah, options yeah. on the other side isn't you know adequate to their liking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But do you, yeah, people do sometimes change. Uh, they do sometimes uh, vote for the other party, but it's not quite frequent for sure. You know, and uh, those people who are up for grabs, you know. It, the independent voters and those people who can change their mind it's just it's really a slim margin for on during uh, elections but um yeah it's it's been quite bizarre since the the GOP as a party was the whole where the character we look at the character of the our president we want someone who's morally upstanding uh, uh Ronald Reagan type type of guy or you know, uh, Lincoln. You know, so it's it's been quite bizarre to 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 have Trump as a president and the GOP completely not caring about his character and just saying we just want what 
we want our stuff to get done our policies and mm-hmm. it, it goes it goes even to the like the weirdest places that you see these alliances are the like the religious the christian community in the u.s the evangelicals with trump being probably the the least religious president in history yeah but that's that's you what know? i'm saying you know at, at some point you stop caring about the man and care and you care more about the policies he's going to put forth so you know for you know for a fact trump is going to put more pro-religious policies than a than a hillary clinton would so that's where yeah that's where you tend to have to go because that's that's the options you have once once you leave the primaries man is unless you have a um let's say a more moderate candidate on the other side yeah people are not going to break party lines yeah well yeah it's tough well yeah for me what's being uh, astonishing is just the the establishment how the establishment completely just fell under under the reins of trump and now every it's almost impossible to be an anti-trump or someone who who's not like who's who doesn't agree with trump uh like to say 20 percent or 30 percent of the time and be a republican and win win re-election campaigns and those kind of things you saw that uh with uh, you saw that with a lot of uh like a few people in the in the senate i'm thinking of uh the senator from Arizona, I believe, who who, who didn't run for re-election. Uh, Ooh, I don't. Uh, Jeff Flake. Yeah, Jeff Flake. Exactly. Yeah, yeah Jeff yeah, Flake. Exactly. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah so you you yeah. saw that you and the people who push back to Trump, they don't do it like they just. It's mostly it's rhetoric, you know. They mm-hmm. don't. It's not as if they vote against Trump, you know. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking of someone like. Ben Sass is a is also a senator. Mm-hmm. You know he he's he's been quite critical of Trump. He's a he's a Republican senator, but if you look at the way he votes, he votes with Trump. Uh, like I would say, eighty percent of the time, eighty five percent of the time. You know, so because I think rhetoric rhetoric is one thing, but what you I don't think Trump is a walk to talk. So. Is different than the policies he puts forth. If, if he put, when when it comes to policies, if those are the policies that your values are, are situated with, then it makes sense to vote with that policy. But I think when you do see, I guess something that goes against your conscience, and that's when I think it's it, it's appropriate. It makes sense why you would break from party lines, like when John McCain voted against the repayment of Obamacare. Like that that for a lot of people that's like that's a big moment because you're like, wow, this guy really broke from party lines. And I think he did it because it would went again his conscience. If there was a bill put forth that was that made sense to him, yeah, you know, as a conservative, then I think he would definitely would have voted for him. But for this yeah, for sure. this one he just didn't see it make sense. So I think we run a bit off the Beto and Ted Cruz race. But yeah, for me, uh, Beto O'Rourke, I think, was a very exciting candidate coming in. Since I, since I said that's the first race uh, I saw when it came to the midterms, uh, one of the major issues uh, Ted Cruz was trying to bring him down on was uh, his DUI charge and or and whether or not he left the scene, yeah. or et cetera. I think that was a, that was. A, it is a pretty the dark thing to have happened in yeah, his past. As a politician, yeah, 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 for sure. But I'm not d- sure exactly of what happened there, but uh, like it's not a good thing to have in your past there, you know. Yeah. 
I don't really, I don't follow a lot uh, that race particularly. But uh, the thing is, Ted Cruz is a hated guy, you know, mm-hmm. in the U.S. He's not popular. Uh, he's not popular uh, on the left, I would say. He's like one of the most hated Republicans, mm-hmm. you know, in the country. So anyone could actually, if you, any candidate would be, you know, would be propped up as, you know, as the guy who who should remove Ted Cruz, but better Rourke hard had that, you know, that uh, charisma, charisma, young person, uh, yeah, energy and vibe, you know. But uh, but and you know, I don't think he's he's that good of a of a politician. You can see how he's like now his campaign is going and his, his yeah. twenty twenty campaign, his presidential campaign, and it's it's not going. It's not going good, but uh, yeah, but even but I think the one of the one of the things we have to take out of the Beto and uh, and and the Cruz race was is mainly how tight the race was for a Democrat to be battling in Texas, yeah, with uh, uh with us with the, the Republican senator. It was it's it was, it's not supposed to be this tight, exactly, and especially since Ted Cruz is. You know, he's an incumbent senator. He's already there. You know, yeah, it's yeah. It was. It's definitely something to look out for. You have a lot of blue blue state. I mean, red states who are who are being pushed uh, by the Democrats in those states. So Texas, mm-hmm. you would not think that you know mm-hmm. uh, a race such as that one would be that close in Texas. Yeah, like literally, know? Ted Cruz had four important. 4.2 million votes and Beto had four, uh, literally 4.0 million. Oh. That's a very, that's a very tight race. And I think you could attribute that to not only his charisma, but also he did put in a lot of work in that race. He went to all 254 counties. It was by all means one of the races that you really had to pay attention to when you, yeah. especially when you're, especially if you're from Texas. Yeah. Also, I think just the, Ted Cruz, the fact that Ted Cruz is hated nationally yeah. was, was a big factor because if you look at the campaign don- donations that uh, were made to to Beto's team, you know, to Beto's campaign, like a lot of those uh, donations were coming from, you know, outside of this, of uh, of Texas, you know, so he, or at least he got that national, he got that national, uh, he got that national image, you know, he got like the whole, he was going on uh, late night shows mm-hmm. and uh, appearing on national radios and yeah, and I think just, what made him viral was um, there was a video where he was talking about the minorities and yeah. uh, just their rights and etc. I think that when he a lot of he times spoke in Spanish or something I don't, know, I don't even remember, but I I think a lot of time when you see especially in America when you see a white man with that much charisma talk about minorities if yeah, um, it yeah. gets it, it's no brainer that it went viral it's yeah for sure yeah yeah uh the next race we have is the Stacey Abrams and Brian Kemp Georgia oh, that, that was that was high that was an interesting race because uh Stacey Abrams would have been I think the first first black senator uh, black black uh black governor governor in georgia black female governor of georgia Fe- black female or just black 
I don't know how the, you know how do you know how they do with all the the so I think because it was she was black uh-huh. and she's a woman yeah yeah but it, have they had like a just a black guy uh, as a governor over there in Georgia in Georgia I don't think so no let's see I don't think so yeah well yeah it, either way do she, she, she just like uh Beryl work she 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 got a lot of national attention as well you, she she's still she's still in the news at this moment a lot of people thought that she was going to run for president but she chose not to but uh it's clear that she's probably going to be a running mate for someone in uh for the 2020 elections so what happened in, like i think one thing that's interesting about all these races is that a lot of democrats who lost were able to get to gain national attention and just well i think when it comes to stacy abrams for her she her main thing was that she didn't she didn't technically lose so after <laughs> after after the race like her concession was sort of a concession mm-hmm. so a lot of it was okay we're gonna we're gonna find out exactly what happened and her main thing was uh voter suppression so like the one of the first thing she said against uh, Brian Kemp was that he purged vote uh voter rolls and mm-hmm. basically that's when if you don't there's different things that go into place for your voter roll to be uh taken out so let's say you haven't voted in two elections yeah. then it's then you then you then you get taken out the eligible people to vote right mm-hmm. and that was originally um uh, a policy put in by the Democrats in 1998 and basically what 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 happened is that Stacey Abrams saw it and it was like, this is also a clear evidence of, you know, voter suppression. And I don't think, I don't really think it is because even though your voter roll, you could get the purge, you can still, you can still vote in the election. All you have to do is show up there and register and then you can vote again. But that was her way of saying. Can you register on the day of the election or? I think, I, I think, no, I think you could show up, you show at the, show up at the polls and then with your information and then they could have you and you can still vote in the election. The same day? I'm pretty sure. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, one of the, also the other things was that she felt as if that deterred minority voters to vote. Yeah. And I don't think that's um that's technically a valid claim because since twenty fourteen this was this was a record record turnout for non white voters in Georgia. In Georgia? In Georgia, yeah, this was a record turnout. So I think her claim of voter suppression there are there are different type of uh i guess i don't want to say it's because definitely not evidence it's more of uh situations that you know it's questionable because mm-hmm. also brian kemp was still secretary of secretary of the state so she saw this as also you can't really because sec- as secretary of the state you oversee the election and the win- and the winner of the election so she saw that also as some sort of corruption because you can't really oversee your own your own election and what Brian Kemp had put forth was that he was going to step down regardless after the after the the election happened or there's already a transitional plan there so so a claim of voter suppressions i don't think they'll hold they're that shaky gr- shaky yeah they're on, they're on they're on shaky grounds definitely yeah well it's she's still going at it uh, till this moment i think she's still well she she has conceded now but uh 
she's still saying that uh, Georgia needs to figure out uh, the the voter suppression thing. But yeah, it was basically so you could just you show up to your polling location and submit a provisional ballot. And then you could it's it's different than the regular ballot ballot, but you can still vote. You can still vote. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well what what other races do we have there? Uh other races we have is the Andrew Gillum and Rob DeSantis. I think I seen him uh, I saw Andrew Gillum first on uh where did I see him? I saw him on Breakfast Club. Breakfast. I think so, yeah. Because <laughs> Charlotte Mano always makes fun of uh, Florida being a crazy state. So it was kind of funny to have one a person running for Florida, uh, you know, to be on Breakfast Club. But yeah, Andrew Gillum was definitely an interesting character because he himself, as the mayor of Tallahassee, I believe. Mm-hmm. Is he mayor of Tallahassee? Um, check. Mayor of, mayor, yeah, checks. Mayor, mayor of something. He did have some, yes. yeah. He did have some some ethics issues because I, pre- I believe he was given uh, it was, it was it's very weird. He was given tickets to like a, <laughs> to like the theaters, but he also he accepted a a trip to uh, just a vacation trip or something like that. Yeah, and then I think he had to. He wasn't found. I don't think he was found like guilty of anything wrong. But he was he was definitely he was told to pay a fine. So that was a that was one thing that Rob DeSantis used against Andrew Gillum was like, "Hey man, you know the ethics." <laughs> the ethics yeah. yeah, for sure. He like there was a lot of hype, you know, uh, around this guy. I found the first time I saw him was when uh, Obama endorsed him. I think mm-hmm. they had a rally down there in Florida. So uh, you know. Yeah, that was it. Obama, Biden, Sanders, they all, they all, they all in um, rallied for Gillum. Oh, really? That was fam. That was that's in, that was insane. The amount of firepower that was behind Andrew Gillum. Yeah, be. yeah, yeah. But you know, it's and a, even in even in that that race, as as in the Georgia race, he had the recount happen uh-huh. in Florida. He also had a recount because they're they're different by like ten thousand ten thousand votes. Mm-hmm. Or like that's the, that was the only so that was a very very tight race there and it was there's also uh, Andrew Gillum now like there's also a type of uh, same thing as Stacey Abrams they believe there's some type of voter suppression yep. that happens especially with minorities and I think with any of these accusations I think it's important to bring in specific facts and have them investigated I think there's an investigation happening. For the Georgia, for yeah, for the Georgia, Georgia? I think for the Georgia one, Mm -hmm. I think it's a it's important investigation to have. But I think throwing accusations that oh I didn't lose the race, I think it's dangerous to the market. Not conceding that that's yeah that's not that's not good for a republic for sure. Yeah, but uh, I'm it's for me it's weird that this guy Andrew Gillum doesn't have is not uh, heard much on the like the national news and you know as a lot of these other people well some of them are running for president for sure but uh stacy abrams she's despite that she's not running for anything at this moment she's always in the news like yeah she is you know i think i don't know what does he do i think he writes no he writes he he's a contributor no i appreciate andrew gillum he's a contributor for cnn i think right now yeah he yeah he i guess he gets the 
he took his break and went to go make money. But yeah, he's a kind of pretty sure he's a contributor for CNN. Oh, yes, he joined uh, since January. Yeah. And that's definitely firepower for CNN coming into the to the election having Andrew Gillum as your contributor. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Next? next race we have is uh, Bill Nelson and versus Rick Scott. That is the which race is that? It's the actually no. Let's do Cindy Hightsmith and Mike Epsey. That's the. Mississippi Senate election. So, yeah, Cindy Highsmith is the Republican that was appointed to the Senate this um, the year of the midterms where versus uh, Mike Epsey, who was a Democrat and former congressman. Uh, this election itself also was important because it, in some sort, I think, was... Uh, I think the, in, not, the incumbent was retired it wasn't something like that was yeah something like that and that's what made this uh a, a battleground state in mississippi yeah and even the difference in votes was around 69 69,000 in votes so sandy highsmith had the uh 479,000 votes and uh, mike sp had uh, 410 votes oh yeah yeah um, I don't think this election was really publicized that no, much. No, no I, I did not hear much about it. I, for me, uh, the one that was was interesting was uh, the Arizona, the Arizona one. Who's in Arizona again? Uh, hold on. Um, it's oh, is that McSally? Yeah, McSally and uh, yeah, Martha McSally and. And Martha McSally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Kristen Cinema. Oh, yeah, Kristen yeah. Cinema and Martha McSally. That well, that was one of the only few uh, Senate races where the Democrats actually won. You know, uh, mm-hmm. Kristen Cinema won the, the, uh, the state of Arizona. I think it's. I'm pretty sure it's a red state. That's the. That's yeah, it's a red state. John McCain was John McCain comes from. Yeah. Yeah. So that was that was quite good, especially since what was funny is that uh Kristen Cinema, she's been she's been a like a known in, in Arizona. I think she's she was a politician and maybe a bureaucrat before or something. Yeah. But she she used to just trash Arizona. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh yeah. I think she'll think about drugs. Yeah. I mean, she used to say like the worst people come I, from Arizona. Yeah, I and, saw you know that's funny I heard about that when I was watching the view with Megan McKay. <laughs> yeah it, that that was obviously those those the thing is in elections you have the, the non-trivial things are the things yeah. that become the most interesting. It's not like the issue. Sometimes it's the issues, but oftentimes <laughs> you'll just have uh, That's someone. That's so funny. You know, what suit is this guy wearing or whatever. So, yeah. So that was, that was, that was quite funny. The fact that she, her history was she used to bash Arizona, but nevertheless, mm-hmm. she won. Uh, she had like... Like fifty percent of the votes were, whereas uh, Martha McSally had forty seven point six percent of the votes. But uh, what's what's even weird is that Martha McSally was actually nominated to go to the Senate after uh, having lost uh, 
the elections. Oh. Because wow. of, of, they needed to fill John McCain's Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so she lost <laughs> the elections, but she still got <laughs> to go to the Senate. You know, so that was, yeah. that was quite the, the race. But yeah, this, I think it was for a long time leading up to the midterm election, the odds were always that the the Democrats would take the House and then the Republicans would probably keep, keep the, the Senate. Yeah, because if they because sure. if they if they needed if because if there were uh, Democrats wanted to take the Senate, they needed to have I think there's two seat net gain. Yeah. So well, in uh, in the House, the dem the Democrats gained uh, forty one seats mm-hmm. and getting the majority, and uh, in the Senate and in the in the House, all forty uh, four hundred and thirty five seats were up for grabs. Yeah, they were up for grabs, and in, in the Senate, only thirty five seats were up for grabs, and uh, Republicans gained two seats. Yeah. So, so basically, the no, and out of the thirty out of, out of the 35 seats, 35 seats, there were 33 seats that were up for grabs in the Senate. Yeah. Only, I think it was, it was it 24? 24 seats, 24 of those seats were were Democratic seats. So not only did the Democrats have to keep their own seats, but they also had to gain seats. Yeah, they and had I think to gain seats. That's, that, that's, that, that's, what's, that's why the probabilities of them getting control of the Senate was always, you know. Yeah, it was, it was, it was low for sure. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, yeah, as it happens now, well, the Republicans have the presidency and the Senate. Oh, I think we forgot um impeachment. Impeachment was one of the major issues going into Oh yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so one of the it was one of the major issues because well, there's a lot of rhetoric about Trump and you know the Russia stuff, the Russia collusion and at the times the Mueller report wasn't out yet so nobody knew exactly was what the Russians uh, what happened between team Trump and the Russians so you you had a lot of talks about uh, about impeachment but impeachment is only two presidents have ever been impeached so that's Andrew Johnson and Bill Clinton and, and uh, both were acquitted after the trial in the Senate. Yeah, that's the thing with impeachment. I think a lot of people believe you get impeached and you're gone. No, no. <laughs> so no. basically, you you could get in, you get impeached in the House over. So be, that's basically like being uh, what do they call it? I think was it arraigned or something? Something there was some uh, some judicial term. It was it was like being in court and just charges are being brought up to you. Yeah. So you have, so in say in Bill Clinton's case, he had two charges brought up to him and that passed the house. That means yes, he's in, he was, he's impeached, that was impeachment, but that doesn't mean that he stops running, that he stops, you know, being the president of the that, country. Yeah, that's not removal. You don't get removed. Uh, you need, you need to be, uh, you need to be tried in the Senate mm-hmm. to, to get removed. The only time where that was, Actually, a possibility was uh, with Nixon, Richard Nixon, in the early seventies, uh, where he knew uh, he knew that he was going to get impeached and tried and removed from the office because of the Watergate scandal. So he just resigned before all of that happened. So it's it's quite reasonable. Like it's if something is as clear as. Uh, a president is going to get impeached and tried. The the president will probably just resign beforehand. But for the thing is with Trump, what the Democrats were hoping for is that with 
if they gain the if they gain the house and the major comic uh, they gain a, a lot of power in the committees in the house you know yeah uh, they judicial could, committee uh, security or house yeah, oversight bring up uh, impeachment charges and in impe- with the impeachment charges you get a lot of power of you get a lot of power and a lot of access to information so so the taxes information of trump and yeah. all of those things they are it's still still now some uh, democrats are hoping that with impeachment they could get some dirt on trump and from mm. there the, the the republicans in the senate would see that there's no way we can defend this so mm-hmm. that's that's uh the arguments that a lot of uh, Democrats are, are are making, and they're I think making the, even yeah. before the midterms. But even one of the arguments that, because Trump, he's it, basically when going into the midterms, his main thing was vote like if I was on the ballot. That was his thing because voter turnout usually during midterm elections aren't that great. Usually, I think forty percent of those who are eligible to vote actually vote in the midterms. So that was a big thing for Trump because he need. He needed to fire up the base, like yeah, in a major yeah. way. But the the thing is, um, oftentimes, lower turnout is good for is good for the 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 president who's in office because uh, it just means that a lot of those angry voters aren't aren't voting. You know, so That's a lot true. of people just don't give a damn. But um, but yeah, he I think he he would always he'd always, he'd always say, yeah, if the Democrats. If, if the Democrats win the House, man, uh, they're, they're gonna try to impeach me, you know. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, the, yeah, he was trying to get the turnout from yeah. the Republicans. And at one point, yeah. it seemed like he was talking more about impeachment than Democrats were talking about impeachment because Trump, Trump knows that you bring out impeachment enough, then your base is gonna be fired up. Democrats know that if they bring up impeachment too much, then they fire up Trump's base. So, in a sense, it's kind of a, cal- yeah, that's a cat and mouse game. <laughs> yeah, that's why you had Nancy Pelosi before the, the midterm election saying you have to chill down on yeah, the yeah, talks because exactly. this is firing up Trump's base. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. And, you know, like, back to the turnouts, in the, the U.S. elections, usually in the, when there's election for, like, for the presidents, the the turnouts is around sixty percent, and when it's like a midterm election, you get around forty percent. Mm-hmm. So, and sometimes it's even lower. So, in uh, twenty fourteen, the the turnout in the midterms were at thirty five point nine percent, which were like the the lowest since since after World World War Two, you know. So, but uh, this like the 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 midterm in two thousand eighteen, the 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 turnout was quite high, actually, and you had that was driven especially by young people. A lot of young people they usually don't vote, obviously, and but uh, a lot of young people did vote in the midterms, yeah. and a lot of women did vote in the in the in the two thousand eighteen midterm elections. Yeah, and uh, I think it was it was it a record breaking amount of women that actually ran for office. Yeah, that ran for office and were elected in the in the house. Yeah, I think because I saw the um, I think it was called knock knock down knock, knock down, down the down house yeah. knock down the house, which was basically a documentary of some sort of uh, tracking. I think it was around. F- how many women were in the 
What's the cast? I think there was about it's about five, five, four women that were basically running against the establishment. So basically, Democrats that have been that had that have had that seat in yeah. certain districts for so long, and basically they were basically they've been there for so long that these women were coming in or like you know it's time for us to break from this establishment, you know, and have yeah. a completely grassroots campaign. You know, starting from the bottom and just getting everybody out to vote. And I think that's the thing when you have somebody that's been there, I've been in a position for so long, there's so much you can criticize them on if there hasn't been progress, right? Because you come into an election and you could be like, okay, I'm going to change this, I'm going to change that. But what were you doing for the past 40 years? The the thing is also in, in national elections like this, you have people like, the establishment is quite strong. You have people in the state legislature who who know that, okay, so after this guy is done with, after this guy retires, I'll be the next one to go and try. And also there's all, there's the, the establishment vibe that these uh, young women and young people were coming and trying to break. So the, I think the, we, we would say the the rock star of the midterms was, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez, who, AOC. <laughs> who's <laughs> quite loved by uh, the right, I would say, by the Republicans. She's <laughs> probably their favorite, <laughs> you know. Um, the Green New Deal. Yeah, she, she's, uh, she's from New York, you know, she's from the, the Bronx. Bronx. <laughs> Obviously, you she's better the, recognize. I think the youngest, uh, the youngest person to serve in the U.S. Congress, probably. She's 29 years old, so I think she is. And, uh, yeah, she's, she's just been quite, quite popular and like, quite talked about, uh, in the news and on the national level, especially for just, uh, junior congresswoman you know it's 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 been quite the ride for her i imagine you know who she run against again she what's his name well she ran against um some guy from i don't know uh, the name of the guy but the guy was an establishment guy you know and but the from worse in her district her district is heavily blue a blue district so after he won, uh, she won the primary. Everybody knew that she was going to, to get elected. The guy who, the guy is uh, Joe Crowley. Yeah, Joe, Joe Crowley. He's been, he was there for, I don't know how long, but I th- I think um, the main thing with, with Joe Crowley that he was, he wasn't really, so he was basically being patient because he was, trying to be the next uh, house speaker or something like that so he was working he was working his way up and then for AOC she was when she was in the on the campaign trial she she was saying okay what's the point of going for these power positions when the people you're not really helping the people yeah. in your district and I, that was that's what that was really amazing yeah, about was, her campaign it's such yeah. a grassroots campaign there was um in the in the and um, knock the house down there was this scene where she it's like a it's like a sort of town hall in a gym, and then so AOC so AOC is there, you know, uh, ready to go for the town hall. Crowley's not there. Crowley sends a representative, which is another oh woman, goodness. like it's it like a counselor, like some Hispanic uh, Hispanic woman account yeah. just sends it there for for Joe Crowley, and that was such a terrible look because all AOC was saying, 
because she was being very respectful to the representative that was replacing Crowley, but she was saying, look, guys, this is what you have here. He doesn't even have time to come show up. show up to the district for a simple the debate town slash town hall. So I think this was a lot of Joe Crowley not doing his due diligence taking. He was too yeah. comfortable in his seat. Yeah, knowing, just knowing the trends and the optics of it all, you know how now uh, like minorities have bigger voice in... in in the in the elections you know so the guy has been he's been in congress since 1999 you know so he's been there for um, like 20 years you know so but he he needed to recognize that aoc was coming with this new energy and this new uh, trend of young people and just minority behind her you know who mm-hmm. who, who are going to push her forward yeah, but uh, that was that was quite a big shock in the, yeah. the democratic I learned, establishment. Yeah, I learned a lot about uh, in that uh, documentary because it was so basically AOC was endorsed by Justice Democrats, which is basically like a group that helps um, take down basically established Democrats. Justice with, Democrats. Yeah. Uh-huh. So so there was AOC. They endorsed a in the in in the show. No, I don't think she was. For, well, I'm talking about specifically the in the documentary. Oh, in the documentary. So they had. Oh, I didn't watch it. So they followed uh, AOC, uh, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, uh, Amy Viella uh, from Nevada, Corey Bush from uh, Missouri, and Paula John. I'm not gonna say that last name from West <laughs> from West Virginia and. I think the one of the main things I learned a lot I learned about this documentary was how how much it takes to even run a campaign man it's a lot the amount of first you have to get signatures the money you have to raise just it's really a lot for so everybody that even gets into campaign man be a good job good, good job luck. yeah good luck good <laughs> yeah good luck keeping your sanity because that was insane why did they follow this for women, women specifically, not because uh, there were other women who were quite because I think they, popular. they, those were the four that they I think they go through a list of candidates. Uh-huh. So those were the four women they saw that okay, these have a good chance they of taking down chance. the establishment. Okay, I have no idea what was happening in Rashida. Oh, it's Talib's. more like taking down the establishment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So did Ilan Omar, you know Ilan Omar. Yeah, yeah, from Minnesota. Did she? Did she uh, Unseat someone who like an establishment Democrat. Before. I don't think so, cause if I think if she did, it would have been like it. Would, I, f- I feel like they would have. Uh, then again, you going down through candidates. Sometimes you'll miss one yeah, yeah. shining star. Know. But I never, I didn't, I didn't really hear about the uh, Ilhan Omar's race. I just yeah. know she made she she was there, and that was one of the people that. What was her? She's the first. Muslim woman, first Muslim woman yeah. to ever serve in Congress, yeah. which is, and I think that's when they put the what was that the 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 provision saying that you're allowed to wear your hijab on the house floor because apparently that wasn't a thing. Bef- and you could swear on like whatever religious thing. Yeah, because like, that wasn't a thing before yeah. Ilhan Omar came, which was pretty impressive. Yeah, it's definitely progress, you know. Mm-hmm. Although, like you know. It, these these small things as such as just representation and having these kind of people different kind of people serve in the congress it's it goes a long way i um, i think 
And uh, yeah, for me, for me, what's interesting about AOC is that uh, she's she's working with uh, activists to challenge to bring primary challenge against some uh, more conservative uh, Democrats in the Congress. So they mm-hmm. want they really want progressive Democrats to to challenge those uh, old establishment people and. Uh, it's been quite it's been quite a, a ride for for the Democratic Party because obviously you have the leadership that's quite old, the mm, Nancy Pelosi Nancy, and all those yeah. people, and but and, and they're trying to contain. People. Yeah, they're trying to get. It's like it's like watching a mother taking care of her kids. <laughs> it was like whoa, like because they're coming in with brand new ideas. Yeah, brand new ideas, new energy. We need to fix this. We need to address yeah. climate change and this and this and this. But I also think when it comes to there needs to be a certain sort of uh, reverence for the process because you can come all you want with these ideas, but unfortunately, politics, especially in Congress, is it's 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 very much a wait and see. It's like the process takes so long, and I I do appreciate the fact that they're coming in. They're like, yo, it doesn't have to take this long, yeah. you know. But I do think there are certain parts of the process that have to be. No held in reverence, you know, going through negotiations, I take, you give, different types of things. I think that those have to be appreciated because recently I heard her say something. It was around, it was about climate change. It was like, yeah. she was like, there's no middle ground. <laughs> I was like, you're not going to get a bill passed like that. You need to find a way to cooperate with people on the other side of the aisle. But one one thing I noticed about, that's when I, uh, Tulsi Gabbard, I saw her, her interview with Joe Rogan is that as soon as these uh, Congress man and woman get sworn in, you're automatically told to stay on your side. Like you have your party, they have their party. And I think that's the main thing that people see in Congress are like, man, nothing happens there. Everything is just political games and they're not, and they're not getting anything done. I think that's a fair criticism. Yeah, it is a fair criticism for sure. And uh, quite frankly, I think, you do need fresh ideas, and uh, but you also need these f- fresh Congress people, you know, to learn the game and learn how exactly. the system works, you know. But I, quite frankly, I think they will do so. You know, they they want to pass bills, they want to to have their uh, policies enacted, you know. So mm-hmm. to, to do so, you'll have to learn how to form alliances and coalitions you know yeah in order to do so and you in some ways you you're seeing aoc do this in in a way that's quite uh you know unorthodox you know mm-hmm. she's like the green new deal for example she had a lot of like senators you know who who signed on the signed on the proposal and mm-hmm. you know she now she's uh working with bernie but the thing is you know What's interesting is how she is defining the political uh, conversation, you know, especially for twenty twenty candidates. Would you would would you say she's a thought leader in the pro? In she the party? is. She, I think she's probably the biggest thought leader in the Democratic Party at this moment. Mm-hmm. Although she, I don't think she has a lot of power to enact whatever she wants to enact, but it's hard at this moment to just mm-hmm. just be a Democrat. I think her and I, I think her and Bernie are the thought leaders. Yeah, but Bernie doesn't have that, you know, young, black yeah. vibe. <laughs> but I mean, thought leader as in they're bringing stuff, initiatives She's that have never been... Right br- not black. You said black, <laughs> you call her black? <laughs> yeah. 
but yeah, I think her and Brittany are the thought leaders, as in they're both forcing people to have these conversations. Mm-hmm. Brittany is the first one to come in and say, yeah, free tuition for everybody. Yeah, I think Brittany, he's the guy who just brought the whole, like, just transformed the, the Democratic the Democrats conversation in 2016, especially with free mm-hmm. tuition and, you know, challenging the establishment, the centrist Democrats such as Obama and Clinton, yep. you know, and uh, now you have someone who's carrying the mantle in AOC and doing the same. And I think it's quite hard. I don't, I don't imagine a, a Democrat who's running for president saying, I don't agree with AOC, for example, or just <laughs> yeah. bashing AOC, yeah. who's, it, that would just end badly. Mm-hmm. Although I think maybe Joe Biden could do that, but <laughs> I th- I th- Joe Biden is his old... I hope he does. There's sometimes, man, you just need them, need to tell him to just relax. Just relax. Yeah, but, yeah, man, Joe, Joe's a, a real guy. This ra- The 2020 race is going to be... Interesting. It's going to be fun for sure. And, uh, you know, and I think the midterms were what pre- prepared for like the, the it def- Yeah, it definitely set the groundwork. It set, set the groundwork for everything that's happening right now in terms of the investigations, um, the subpoenas being thrown. Everything really is a correlation to what happened in the midterm elections. And, and I think also the thought of impeachment before before the election i think i think now that the democrats have the house and not the senate i think it's something that has to be laid to rest no but it's more i think it's a possibility because the thing is this for democrats they want to have uh they want to have something concrete on trump to say Mm -hmm. this is what we want to impeach trump on but the thing is trump has a lot of presidential power Mm -hmm. so the congress doesn't have a lot they have power they have power but they don't have enough power to make trump like for example give his tax documents you know but if you it's bring- on it's on it's under audit man it has to <laughs> it has to it takes time it's been since <laughs> you know but the thing is if they they bring up impeachment charges or they start the impeachment uh the whole process of impeachment yeah. congress usually gains more power in mm-hmm. And then in that case, and then they they can ask and say, for example, we need Trump's uh, tax returns. If Trump says no, they'll just go to the court and say it's for impeachment purposes, mm-hmm. and, for, and the court will probably enforce that. You know. But when it comes to that, I feel like if you're gonna when that's that's when Nancy Pelosi is so on the edge. It's like if I'm gonna go for impeachment. Mm-hmm. I have to find something. If I don't find something, I've handed Trump exactly. the election. Yeah, that's that's the problem. Th- that's that's the 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 risk that Nancy Pelosi doesn't want. I, it feels like it does. She doesn't want to take because yeah. if they don't find anything, is it just means that Trump is winning twenty twenty. Yeah, but they can play it safe and just say, "Oh, this guy didn't want to return any taxes." You know, we have an election. Let's try to win this one. You know, instead of trying to impeach him, I think. I th- I would I, I would go the route of having a, an election. Yeah, I think it looks, that's, that's it looks the route safer. that you should go. It, it does look safer because Trump isn't that popular at this moment. I think his approval rating are like 41, 42% and maybe even lower. Mm-hmm. You know, so there is a fair chance of of taking him out in 2020. So Yeah, I think so. You just say your ducks and just Yeah, instead let him of roll. trying to roll up his base by 
having an impeachment process just a year or a year and a half before the elections, I don't think that would be quite wise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that's it on this episode on the 2018 uh, midterm elections. Any concluding thoughts you want to? Yeah, it's been fun. This is our uh, first long episode. How long is this? It's an hour and a half, maybe. Whoa, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. An hour and a half. Yeah, so um, I think this this uh, sets the groundwork for what's the to come episodes. So yeah. we would hopefully we'll dive in deeper in those uh, topics that we're talking about, whether it's immigration or climate change or what whatever, and uh, mm-hmm. at least uh, uh, have or James Charles. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> And have more time to uh, to discuss those. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for listening. And this is Beyond Culture. Out. Oh.